Locale. Local. Shock. Local. Cambiamento. Tapir. Girdelecte. Sacula ideale. Food. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Spin podcast. Uh, I'm Valentina Gritti and I'm the podcast host and the Slow Food Youth Network Global Community and Project Manager. And today we have a very special episode dedicated to biodiversity. And to, to start with this episode, uh, I would like to invite Marta Messa uh, to uh, give us an introduction about why we have chosen this topic. Uh, Marta is the director of the Slow Food Europe office in Brussels. She's working a lot so with, uh, with lobbying and with institutions. And so she's going to really uh, tell us how uh, Slow Food is working about uh, the topic of biodiversity uh, also on an uh, institutional level but uh, first of all well welcome Marta to the podcast thank you Valentina hi and uh, so Marta why did we choose to make this episode about biodiversity and why now yeah so um, well it's a very special year if you want for biodiversity um, because not just uh, if you want the pandemic has highlighted the importance of healthy ecosystems of healthy natural systems for the well-being of the planet and really of the whole of society and in that biodiversity uh, plays a crucial role um, but there are two processes two important political processes that are going on um, one is that uh, at, in may this year uh, the european commission published a very important document that is part of the uh, european green deal so which is the strategy proposed by the european commission to achieve a climate neutral and sustainable Europe. Um, and the document that I'm talking about is called the Biodiversity Strategy. Mm-hmm. So it's really a strategy that looks practically into how we can achieve better biodiversity, uh, more, uh, a more lively biodiversity in Europe in the next 10 years. And it's a strategy that outlines the steps um, to, to be achieved in the next years. Um, at the same time, at the international level, there is another important process going on, uh, which is the, um, that the United Nations are preparing uh, towards the Convention on Biological Diversity that is going to happen in 2021. Uh, it was supposed already to happen this year, but given the pandemic, all the preparatory works had to be postponed and went online, and because of that, the whole timeline shifted forward. But so all in all, the biodiversity strategy at European level and the process towards the UN Convention on Biological Diversity give us the opportunity really to zoom in on biodiversity and on the concrete measures that um, our governments and our institutions can take to make sure that we support biodiversity and everyone who's really in turn defending biodiversity every day. And uh, on like a, a practical level, uh, how is Slow Food contributing to what has been doing on, a, on an institutional level? So I'll start from the European level where I'm more focusing my efforts with colleagues here in the Brussels office. Um, but so we've, besides the fact that we've been working the last few years really to, to bring the example of the biodiversity projects of Slow Food and uh, also creating opportunities where 
farmers and food producers from the Slovak network would meet with decision makers to directly bring their voice and experience to those who in the end are drafting laws and regulation and legislation that has an impact on the, our everyday life. Um, besides this, in the last one year, we've really been focusing efforts with partner organizations to try and make sure that the EU Green Deal would be very ambitious and would have very concrete targets. Um, so practically speaking, that means that um, we, we, together with partner organizations, we reached out to the Commission, uh, we had meetings at, um, you know, with representatives of the different cabinets of the European Commissioners. We also had um, discussions with members of the European Parliament um, and really trying to, to make sure that the biodiversity strategy and the farm to fork strategy would have ambitious targets and concrete targets. Um, so this is really what we have been trying to do uh, in the last months and the results I would say are quite positive in the sense that indeed even though maybe some of the, the targets outlined are not as ambitious as we would have wanted, for instance the one on the use of dangerous pesticides, the biodiversity strategy has a target of a reduction by 50% of chemical pesticides by 2030, uh, whereas we together with partner organizations have, we have been pushing for a much higher target of a reduction of 80% by 2030, um, achieving 100% reduction uh, of synthetic pesticides by 2035. Um, but, um, you know, the, it's still very, very good results that came out of the biodiversity strategy and of the farm to fork strategy, which is another, another document that was published also in May this year by the Commission, and that is very relevant as well because it touches more clearly upon the food and farming sector and of course those play a huge role in uh, in impacting biodiversity and so the at the european level at eu level conversations are continuing with the european institution representatives um, but we're also having conversations with national governments through for instance our national associations uh, but also through events that we organize and again where we bring together farmers, um, decision makers and, and the wider audience and we really try together to have constructive, a constructive moment of exchange. Um, besides the uh, European level, uh, we, we've also been interacting with the Secretariat of the uh, United Nations Convention on Biological Diversity. So, uh, just as it happened at European level, also the UN opened consultations. Consultations are really tools where, for reaching out to the public to hear from the public and organizations and, and whoever wants to answer what they think about a, a specific topic or about specific proposals that are being presented. And so uh, just as we did for the, at the European Union level, also with the UN, we participated in a round of consultations, uh, sending in our written um, comments, but also really we engaged in a dialogue directly uh, with some of the representatives of the Secretariat uh, and, and also, for instance, our uh, indigenous network has participated just, I think it was last week, but very recently in, um, in debates bringing specifically the experience of the indigenous communities from around the world and their role in defending biodiversity. So again, to summarize both at European and international level, the way we, we try to influence in a constructive way is really like by engaging in, in direct dialogues and, and bringing the, 
very specific experience of the metric. And maybe in this sense, it's important to say that what we as Low Food bring to the table that is different maybe from what other organizations are bringing is that, you know, here in Brussels, often when there is talk about biodiversity, um, people look at biodiversity more in terms of the uh, broader environment, which is correct. Um, they talk about indicators of biodiversity like pollinators and birds, um, which is absolutely correct again. But what we want to add to that as low food is also the cultivated biodiversity. So the biodiversity of, of plants and breeds that are directly cultivated in the fields. So it's not just what's around the fields, but what's in the fields, uh, which is deeply connected to also the biodiversity of seeds, the, the biodiversity that is in the soil. The soil is the, under our feet, actually, there is the highest biodiversity in the whole world. And um, so just now, actually, we're responding to another consultation of the uh, European Commission on soils and how to uh, defend them in a new strategy that is also going to come up on soils. Um, and also what we bring as low food when we talk about diversity is also the biodiversity of know-how and knowledge. Often that's kind of overlooked or, or that is our impression. And so one uh, point we often stress is really that, you know, the know-how and the knowledge that has been developed over centuries really by those who day in and day out work in the fields need to needs to be taken into account, needs to be valued and needs to be on an equal level with the scientific knowledge that is out there and that is being developed so that uh, we don't have a top-down approach but it's really a collaborative approach between those who do the research and those who are in the field every day seeing firsthand how nature responds and reacts to the to, to how people interact with nature. Um, so this is really uh, two important elements that we are adding to, to the discussion to make sure that when we talk about, it, about biodiversity, we're not leaving out any aspect. It sounds like it's related to agroecology in a way, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. So agroecology, at times it might sound, it's a term that is familiar to many, but maybe it's not that widely known yet but agroecology is really an approach a movement as well uh, that is about val like working with nature uh, with valuing traditional knowledge and local know-how and really valuing the experience of those who work in the fields it's really if you want a, a translation or the translation of the slow food values no like to make sure that everyone has access to food that is good for them good for the people who produce it and good for the planet. So agroecology is also not just about what happens in the field in terms of you know how you manage the soil or whether you intercrop and rotate uh, between crops, but it's also about the relationships between farmers and citizens. It's about how you develop local food systems, which at the end of the day goes in the direction of food democracy or food sovereignty, meaning people deciding for themselves um, how to develop their local food system in a way that is respectful of everything and of everyone. So yes, this, the, the whole discussion uh, on biodiversity certainly also um, touches upon agroecology, um, absolutely. Nice, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's very important. Thank you, thank you so much, Marta, for, um, yeah, for your uh, very clear uh, explanation uh, of what you're doing on a European level, on an international level. Um, 
and uh, yeah, later in the podcast we will also listen to the the witness of an organic farmer uh, in Germany, and also he's gonna tell us something about uh, the biodiversity that is present in his farm. Uh, and so yeah, we can uh, we can hear also like from really um, a practical uh, example. Um, yeah, thank you so much again for uh, your intervention. And uh, now let's move to the next interview. Hi, Stefan, and uh, welcome to the SPIN podcast. And thank you so much for, uh, for your availability, for being here uh, with us today. Stefan is the head of the biodiversity unit at the DG for Environment at the European Commission. And so he is the best person that can uh, discuss with us about the European strategy for, uh, for biodiversity. So, Stefan... Let me just start with the first question for you. Uh, what is the European Union doing about biodiversity? Yes, hello, Valentina, and hello, everybody. And it's a pleasure for me to uh, participate in this podcast, sorry, and give you some views on the EU biodiversity strategy. Well, um, the EU is doing a lot. It's doing a lot since quite a while. Um, and uh, it's not the first biodiversity strategy that we are having. Uh, we had, for example, one that ended, uh, that is ending this year. Um, I think there is both um, on the more specific conservation side, we have specific legislation like the EU Birds and Habitats Directive, under which the world's biggest network of protected areas has been created, called Natura 2000. But then we also have been over the time greening and integrating biodiversity into other policy areas developing green infrastructure in urban areas, for example, um, greening our uh, research policy, and there has been a lot of support to various biodiversity topics. We are, for example, supporting the IPBES, the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Inter-Service um, and Ecosystem Services. We have also working internationally, we are a party together with all the other uh, member states of the EU of the Convention on Biological Diversity and other uh, biodiversity-related multinational environmental agreements like CITES, the Convention on Migratory Species, etc. And in that respect, uh, we're also using our development cooperation, our international policy in order to contribute to wider uh, biodiversity objectives and help our partner countries uh, to implement internationally agreed objectives. So you said like that uh, this is not like the, the first strategy. The um, first one of this year is ending and then there is like a new one. And what are like the main difference between the old one and the new strategy? So I, say, I would say one of the big differences is uh, the political context in which is this being developed. Um, because we now have in this new commission a new big priority, which is called the European Green Deal which is one of the big priorities of the new von der Leyen Commission. And in there, biodiversity is also uh, at the heart of this, together with climate change, circular economy, zero pollution and other areas. Uh, I'm working now since uh, more than 20 years in the European Commission on biodiversity-related issues, and never has been biodiversity so much on the top of the overall political agenda. Related to this, we also have new scientific evidence against which we are developing our policy. 
most notably uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services that I mentioned, IPBES, which issued uh, 2019 its first um, global ecosystem assessment report. And for the first time, not only showed how dramatic the situation of biodiversity is worldwide, uh, the main headline was that we are risking losing one million species worldwide in the next decades if we don't change our policy course. But also it ranked the main direct drivers of biodiversity loss, uh, the, um, the transformation of biodiver biodiverse ecosystems like uh, old growth forests, like biodiverse grasslands, uh, like uh, other peatlands, etc. into uh, biodiversity poor landscapes like urban areas like intensive agriculture intensive forest areas so that's the main driver but then uh, over exploitation particular overfishing in the marine pollution climate change and invasive alien species and then it also highlighted the underlying causes for that biodiversity uh, loss which is linked obviously to population growth but also to the way our economic system is being established um, and it showed also some pathways for the necessary transformative change. So we used that to develop our own biodiversity strategy, um, also with the ambition to demonstrate uh, to uh, the negotiations that are happening on the CBD where a new global biodiversity framework is to be negotiated, a bit like the new uh, Paris Agreement under the Climate Change Convention, although it will not be a legally binding agreement. But nevertheless, we got the instruction to uh, lead uh, by example. That means that it's a difference to the previous strategies. We have much more concrete, measurable commitments that we are proposing as the Commission and they have now been endorsed by the Member States through Council conclusions, which are measurable and quantifiable and where we can verify on a regular basis if we are making progress towards them. So, for example, to expand our areas of protected areas uh, to 30% on land and sea, a third of which to be strictly protected, or to have 25% of our agricultural land under organic agriculture, or to reduce uh, pesticides, the risk and use by 50, over 50%, etc., etc. So these are just a few examples of many elements uh, of what we call our EU restoration plan, which, uh, should, which are measurable and are very concrete. What is also new is that uh, we are setting ourselves to develop a new legislation, new legally binding restoration targets um, in order to move from the voluntary 50% restoration target we had in the current strategy to something more concrete, uh, which we can then also better enforce. Obviously, this should not replace uh, the implementation of our birds and habitats directives, of the water framework directive, of the nitrates directive, of all the instruments we already have, but should reinforce them adding to that. And I would say the third uh, that is different is that we really took the underlying and the transformative change that IPES has proposed to have also a lot of concrete actions that are uh, not so much it's necessarily a pure environmental policy objective, but cuts across the whole range of policies that we need to change in order to uh, achieve our biodiversity objectives, starting from uh, climate change, where there is a lot of win-win possibilities by investing our climate change budget and measures into so-called nature-based solutions as restoring 
for example, wetlands and carbon-rich ecosystems and protecting them will take us a long way in achieving our Paris Agreement objectives. But also it looks into, for example, developing tools and methodologies to make sure that uh, investors, our banks and insurance companies, businesses, but also uh, mayors and other decision makers uh, have the tools to, for example, set to themselves, I want that all of my operations become biodiversity neutral or net positive to mean that I can assess my dependencies and impacts on biodiversity and take the right decisions in order to change that. So it's really integrating biodiversity into our economic policies, into our research policies, into our agriculture policy, into other our trade policy, etc. That is also a big strong emphasis of this new biodiversity strategy uh, that is stronger than before. And the last point is that also, I mean, when we adopted the strategy that was in May this year, we were already in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, some people said, is this really the right moment to come up with such an ambitious uh, new biodiversity policy? And uh, President von der Leyen and all the other decision makers in the commission said, yes, it is. Not only because there were emerging uh, scientific uh, papers that have demonstrated that there is a direct link between the way that we are encroaching on wilderness, that we are encroaching on nature, that we are destroying healthy ecosystems and the emergence of zoonotic diseases. Uh, that's one thing. So it's better uh, to protect our nature, to make it less likely that we will be affected by future these diseases in the future. And also that our resilience, our capacity to resist to such pandemics is much bigger uh, when we have healthy ecosystems around us. Um, just to give you one example, those of you, for example, in Italy, who were uh, locked down in their apartment or in their house, we all have realized how important it is to be able to go outside, to be in nature, to hear some birds, to have some insects around, uh, also for our mental and our human health. So these links uh, also made it even more important to create a direct relationship between the way that we treat our nature and the way that we then invest in the recovery after the mm. pandemic. Oh, it sounds really uh, ambitious, as you also mentioned. But so now that we have all this strategy, like all these unique elements, how can we translate them into concrete measures? So are like the member states that they have to adopt this strategy or is it more uh, private businesses? How, how will it work? So everybody has a role to play, starting from the individual, you can do a lot on your own balcony in order to plant species that are good for pollinators in the way that you consume the food that is locally produced uh, with, with uh, low impact on the environment, in the way that you are also contributing to measuring and monitoring biodiversity, citizen science, counting birds and butterflies, etc. There is really a lot every individual can do. Then at the local level, uh, local decision makers, uh, mayors, cities, they can have their own urban greening plans, for example, and see how they can de-invest from measures that are destroying nature into measures that are positive for nature. Then it comes to the regions and the uh, governments, and obviously here there is a strong responsibility for the member states to translate what we have uh, decided at the European level 
also at the national level, because when it comes, for example, to decide on the priorities on how to use the EU money, uh, one example being the common agricultural policy, uh, the member states have a lot of uh, choices, a lot of flexibility to prioritize certain actions in their so-called cap strategic plans. So it's very important that they are themselves choosing uh, the right priority. And then, of, of course, there's the European and the international level. And I think also an emerging responsibility and an emerging role, but also an emerging realization of those people that they have a strong contribution to make is the whole private sector. Uh, there are new coalitions being built from businesses, one called Business for Nature, for example, who have made some very concrete pledges uh, in a way that they are wanting to change the way that they operate their businesses because they have realized, and that is also new, that, for example, the World Economic Forum, which is not typically dealing with biodiversity matters, has now done a lot of work on assessing the economic value of healthy ecosystems and they have identified that over half of the global GDP is directly dependent from uh, healthy nature. So the business community, the financial community has an important role to play as well. Sounds very uh, exciting, no? and really everyone can uh, can play uh, their role, no? from like the the individual to uh, governments and so on. Thank you so much, Stefan. It was very very interesting. Uh, yeah, really uh, good luck <laughs> with your work because there it's uh, yeah really ambition. There is a a lot to do, and we are in a very uh, critical period, both for uh, climate change and biodiversity loss, as you also mentioned so i think your role is of a very 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 important thank you and uh, thank also to slow food because i really think that the way as i said that we produce and consume our food there is a strong relationship also with the biodiversity one example is the pollinators that are a very nice indicator showing how the biodiversity has been declined but the main beneficiary of this ecosystem services that they are giving for free is actually pollinating food crops. So there is a direct link between uh, agricultural production and biodiversity. And I think it's with those policies that slow food is promoting. And I hope you will see a lot of uh, similar ideas that we have in our biodiversity strategy uh, in having more organic agriculture, in having more um, less pesticides, less nutrients, um, etc. I think they are really mutually supportive uh, objectives. So thanks to you and also thanks to your youth movement because we need the future generations to help us in taking the right decisions because all the work we are doing on biodiversity is really for the benefits of our youth for the future generations. I'm Ade Willesberger and thank you so much for being here uh, at the SPIN podcast for talking with us about biodiversity. And Amade is a, a German uh, producer in Bavaria, uh, an organic producer. And maybe Amade, you can tell us something about your farm to begin with. Okay, so you're welcome. I also want to thank you that I'm allowed to join and show you my point of view. Um, how you said, my name is Amade Billesberger, but my nickname is Organic Farmer Mowgli. I'm better known as this. Everybody calls me Mowgli. And I run a farm close to the city of Munich in Bavaria, 
it's like half an hour from Munich away. And um, I just restarted the farm, um, what my father closed. So the fields were um, done by conventional farmers. And in 2007, I just restarted the farm and uh, converted it in organic farming. And I just started with um, cereals and some things to grow. And it developed over the last 13 years. And now I have uh, at least between 13 and, and 15 kind of different crops on the field. Uh, very special things from uh, spelt and millet, lentils, beans and normal cereals like uh, wheat, rye, oats, uh, barley and all these other things. Then I have about two or three hectare potatoes, six different kind of potatoes. And on one hectare about uh, almost 100 uh, different kind of varieties of vegetables and then um, I have 900 chicken in three uh, rolling um, chicken coops which I can move on, on new ground. We have some uh, mountain sheep, some goats, some guinea fowls, um, um, turkeys, uh, two horses, two cats and my dog Baloo. That was the short um, introduction of my farm. Wow, it sounds super exciting. It's really like a biodiverse farm, no? From from what I hear. But just a, a question, like your name Mowgli and the dog Baloo, is it for the Jungle Book? It what is it for? It comes from the Jungle Book. It was just my sister. She's like four years older than I am. And when I was born, she just went to the hospital and said he looks like Mowgli. So it's today saw me the first time I'm Mowgli and so for sure we have a lot of animals here at which have names like from the jungle book but the most important is my dog called Baloo and yeah so for sure it comes from the jungle book nice okay thanks to the sister then yeah <laughs> I will tell her yeah and so um, they, uh, since you, you told me now that you have all this um huge number of varieties and also different animals in your farm so what is biodiversity for you um yeah the answer was already in the in the introduction i told you before to have different kind of things for sure i see after sometimes uh, one is too much work or it, i cannot earn money with this at all so i have enough things where i don't earn money which i want to do and i see it as my hobby as things I like to do, but other things, they're too big and you don't have money, you have to leave it again, you know. But for me, it's important. Um, my heart is for the plants. I'm, I want to work with my hand and I want to have my hands in the soil. So for me, the most important thing is to plant plants and grow some good food. Also, we have animals and I love animals a lot, but... Um, just to grow plants for animal feeding is, uh, from my point of view, not the future of the, um, feeding the human race. So for me, it's, it was always more important to um, have different kind of plants. And I just started with vegetables a little bit because I really don't want to go in the supermarket in winter and buy some organic plastic packed uh, vegetables from Spain or, or somewhere else. Um, when I grow, can grow it myself or can um, cook it myself. So I just started a little bit with these vegetables 
And um, yeah, it, it starts from almost zero to a lot of different things. And I also did this uh, thing with the, I let produce flour from almost all of my grains and semolina and I let produce pasta too, other factories do it for me and I sell it, but from my grains. And this is one kind of biodiversity from my point of view. The other thing is that I really think as a farmer, uh, doesn't matter where in life, you have this uh, responsibility to give back the nature a little bit. It's not possible just to take from the nature and don't give it back or just buy some uh, chemical fertilizer and put this on your field. So what does this mean in my, on, in my um, opinion or in my, on my farm? Um, my father, for example, he's now 80 years old and he plants trees every year. And he said he, he will do this as long as he can do or he is able to. So we have um, on over the half of our fields, we have like 40 hectares on our farm around and there's a line of trees all around the farm and um, he, we also plant some, some bushes for the birds and the other animals and the smaller animals and uh, dairies and animals like this. So um, we take some from our farming field um, where I don't get subsidies for, where I cannot harvest anything, take some money, buy some bushes and trees, plant them and first you don't have any money for this, you know, you just do this. Uh, because of the nature, because of less uh, erosion, because of the animals. And what you do is like you, how to say this in English, you um, make the good insects more. The good insects are for me insects which eat bad insects which eat my plants. So this is for a um, long time, when you see in the future, it will bring you something also for your for, for the money to earn more, more money. But at the beginning, it just costs you a lot of money. The other thing is my father, um, we had an old cereal mill, which doesn't work for 50 years. And my father, he um, built a electric power plant. So we produce energy for about 100 household, households. And I have an electric car, which I um, charge here to deliver um, things to the market for example and the last thing is that we have also wooden heating my father built 20 years ago so um, we heat our um, own wood um, for the heating and for the warm water and so it really only makes sense when we continue to plant trees and this is something quite nice what I also like that you know my father and my, my parents just gave me the way you can do it organic, you can do like, uh, it is okay, you have to earn some money for sure, but they never like um, made it dif difficult for me to change, to convert on, on organic agriculture. So I think it was a really long answer, but maybe you found something. Of course, it was super interesting. Actually, you have a very circular farm. Almost. No, I don't have enough animals. I also buy some manure from other farms. Um, because we have like 70 hectare and so I need much more you know my 900 chicken is like for five hectare maybe enough manure but I am um, just for me I don't want more animals so it's not like this perfect circular you have so many animals to have enough uh, nitrogen you know for the whole 
area you're farming. It's not like this. And uh, you also mentioned the insects at a certain point, no? that the fact of having all this uh, biodiversity increases the number of insects. And just like out of curiosity, uh, after how long did you see this increase in different species of good insects? Huh. This is really, um, really difficult to answer because you cannot measure it anyhow. It's just, it, it's really depend from every year, every year is different, every field is different, the soil, the plants that they are um, growing are different. So this is really, really difficult to measure and to answer. And, um, and yeah, also for this brings me also to the, the last question that I have for you. What can we all do like on everyday life, like very practically to promote biodiversity? There are, there are a lot of things uh, you can do. Um, the first thing, what I always say to people is um, start cooking again. Cook yourself, cook vegetables, try uh, to sell it at the local market, try to sell it at your farmer or even better, start growing your food yourself, you know? It is not possible everywhere in the world, in every city, but in a lot of cities in Germany, around the city, you can drive out, you can rent a small part of 200 square meters of uh, field and grow your own vegetables. Um, if it is possible, do it. If not, try to find an organic farmer and buy it there. If you don't find any organic farmer, buy organic food from the supermarket. And um, if it's possible, it is possible because everybody can use the internet. Check out what is the season, you know? What uh, is growing now? What is healthy now? Where does it come from? Don't buy um, best example like always strawberry in winter. So this is one thing. Think about your food and take time to think about all of these facts. So um, for example, you also can have this calendar where it's written what is the season of what vegetable then what i always say is like eat as less um animal products you can you know i don't want to say everybody has to get vegan or vegetarian but uh, think about what kind of animal products you need and what you buy eat it don't throw it away because it, it was a, a lot of uh, work inside and an animal who died or just um, most of the time suffered to bring this Thing. So these are two things what you can do. Um, then if you have a garden, for sure, don't make this uh, English um, grass. Uh, try to plant some some uh, flowers. Even a hand of flowers is better than like nothing. Uh, what is really stupid here, a lot of in Germany, they don't want to have any grass in their, garden, in their garden because it means work and time. And we don't have time because we need this for all the other stupid things we do. So a lot of Germans have just like stones in their front garden or in their backyard, you know? So there it's even better to have some grass, you know? Um, yeah, there are a lot of small things. What also is important, just talk about it, you know? When you have friends and you know they're totally different and maybe they, they don't even know about any things, what they can do, you know? I talk with so many and people about the, the um, uh, common agriculture policy and most of the people the, the, who pay taxes, they don't even know about it. 
So you can just talk with, with friends and people about things, what they can do. It also brings a little bit. And I think, um, yeah, the biodiversity can only get better when uh, the farmers, the industry and the customers all do their best. Nice. It's, uh, it sounds very, uh, yeah, very interesting what you said. They're very, very good uh, advice. And yeah, I hope that all our listeners from now on, they're going to put these things into practice. And first of all, yeah, start to talk about it, no? all of you. And uh, yeah, so uh, Amade, thank you so much again for your time and, and for your input and uh, good luck with your work. I always try to. Thank you very much. We have come to the conclusion of this episode and to sum up what we have learned today, I would say that the EU is providing a number of different tools and guidelines regarding biodiversity protection and then it's mainly up to us, to the governments of our countries and to private companies to integrate them in their strategies or in our case, in our daily life. The slow food movement is working side by side with institutions in order not only to set standards for biodiversity, but also to raise them even more. We also should be asking our governments and the companies we are working with to comply with these standards and even more. At the farm level, biodiversity is important, from the soil to the number of varieties and animals. It doesn't only create a healthier environment, but it can allow a diversity of incomes as well. And finally, as Amade reminds us, let's start cooking our food, let's buy organic products from producers in our areas and grow our own food as much as you can. I hope you enjoyed this episode. In case you have questions, don't hesitate to reach out to the Slow Food Youth Network on our social media and support us and get access to extra materials by becoming one of our patrons. This is Valentina Gritti and you're listening to the Spin Podcast. See you in the next episode.